Hi, this is Inez, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, folks, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and I'm so excited to be with you today. Thanks for taking time to join me on this Sunday, May 8th, Mother's Day. And a special note to all of you moms, thank you for all you've done and continue to do. We are grateful and we honor you in Jesus' name. Welcome back to our five-week sermon series called James, Faith, and Works. If you were with us last week, you remember that each week, we're looking at two interrelated ideas from the book of James. Last week, we tackled the ideas of testing and perseverance. We learned that from the very start, James is encouraging us to rejoice in the midst of our trials and sufferings. In the first half of chapter one, we learned that adversity calls us to go higher, to be greater, and to trust deeper as we journey through life towards the eternal promise we have in Christ. This is an incredibly important message for believers all over the world, and especially those who are in areas where there is ongoing persecution. This week, we're finishing up chapter one as James encourages his readers to be both hearers and doers of the word. And those are the two main ideas we're going to unpack today, listening and doing. James' main point here is that it's one thing to listen and receive the word, but it's another thing to act upon it. I've got a lot more to share, but before I do, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing opportunity we have once again to unpack your word. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to bring this message. I am thankful that we can just dive into your word together and unpack this listening and doing. Lord, thank you. We give you praise and honor. Open our hearts to receive your truth today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You know, James doesn't have much patience for those who only listen and never act. He develops this theme and expands his thoughts throughout the rest of the book. But the section we'll be looking at today is where it all begins. And it's important to remember over the next few weeks that James was a good pastor who cared deeply for his church. And at times, he may sound condescending or harsh, but his letter is motivated by love and compassion for the health of the church. His seeming lack of patience for apathy, he could be motivated by the persecution his church was facing daily from the culture around them. The truth was that they simply didn't have the time or luxury to engage in a lukewarm faith. In many cases, it was truly a life or death choice for those in the early church. Which begs the question for us today, would we be more inclined to act on the teachings of Jesus if our lives were on the line? Or would external persecution motivate our faith? I know we won't fully answer these questions today and maybe not even throughout this series, but we've got to start somewhere. So please open up your Bibles with me or your Bible app to James chapter 1 and read verse 19. James chapter 1 verse 19. This is what it says. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you have or have had kids, or you've at some point in your life been a kid, then this next example is going to make a lot of sense. 
Have you ever asked one of your kids to do something and you were pretty certain that they heard you? In fact, you even got some kind of a verbal confirmation, maybe a head nod, only to find out that hours later, the thing you asked for never got done? Or have you ever been the kid in that scenario? Either way, there's something specifically annoying about being ignored, or in this case, being heard, possibly even acknowledged, and then ignored. This is a bit of the idea behind listening and doing, and we're going to cover that today. You may have heard this parable before, but instead of getting into our James passage right now, I'm going to start in Matthew 21 with the parable of the two sons. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. Here Jesus has returned to the temple, and he started teaching. Then the leading priests and elders came up to him and questioned his authority to teach. So Jesus responds by saying, But what do you think about this? A man had two sons and told the older boy, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, No, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, You go. And he said, Yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, The first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. In this passage, Jesus is making a powerful point about listening and doing. Jesus says that the tax collectors and prostitutes will be entering the kingdom ahead of the chief priests and the Pharisees because they listened and responded to the message of John the Baptist. So with that in mind, here's an important question that comes directly from the two sons parable. Which of the two did what the father wanted? Now, I don't know about you, but this parable invites me to think long and hard about which son I most resemble in the parable. Am I listening to the words of Jesus? Am I hearing his voice through the encouragement of the Bible? Does listening even matter if there's no response? Now let's get back to our text. Read with me James chapter 1, starting with verse 19 through verse 27. It says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This scripture passage begins with James addressing his hearers as dear brothers, or as said another way, the church family that I love. Now, like I've said before, James was a good pastor who deeply cared about his congregation. 
In fact, he cared enough to share with them the blunt truths that follow throughout the rest of his letter, beginning with the encouragement to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, I've heard it said that we all have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we speak. Have you heard that too? As I'm sure we all know, this advice would prove itself to be quite useful if we would simply respond accordingly. James spends a lot of his letter addressing the words we use, the way we speak, and the power of what he calls the tongue. And even in these verses for our day, we hear the invitation to slow down, listen carefully, and respond accordingly. Look at verses 19b and 20 of the text. They say, Be slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Anger closes our minds to God's truth. It is anger that erupts when our egos are bruised. It is just the kind of anger that rises from too much fast talking and not enough quick listening. When injustice and sin occur, we should become angry because others are being hurt. But we should not become angry when we fail to win an argument or when we feel offended or neglected. Selfish anger never helps anybody. In fact, that kind of anger can ruin our witness to others and ruin the relationships we have around us. When anger leads to sin, it does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, many years ago, back in Virginia, I played on a church softball team, which was part of a church league. For the most part, these church teams were great to be around. It was super fellowship. But one day we were playing the top team in the league. Their players were big and strong and had attitude. They talked all kind of trash talk and their arrogance was as thick as peanut butter. I mean, they clearly thought they were God's gift to softball. Our coach, Coach Ron, was one of our church elders, and he told us that before we go on the field, ignore this trash talk, go out and have fun with your teammates, and honor God in all that you do. As the game progressed, the other team scored a few runs, and the trash talk increased to the point where they were saying specific hurtful things to us. I remember I was playing second base, and I missed a ground ball and went right through my legs, and they were hurling insults my way because of that. But I wasn't the only one that was having things being said to. At one point, our coach called a timeout, went over to the dugout of the other team to talk to that coach and ask him to dial it down a notch. And they did for about five minutes, but it started again. Then we started to score a few runs, and before you knew it, the score was tied, and their anger became greater to the point that it was borderline rage. I remember being on first base and two of their infielders started using profanity aimed at us because they were incensed that a team such as ours, in their opinion, lesser than them, in their opinion, might beat them. In the end, we won the game, but the other team continued to let their anger pour out for all to see. It was horrible. This was a church team. These were supposed to be men of God and some of them leaders in their church. You know, in the military, we would call that behavior conduct unbecoming. After we went through the handshake line, our coach gathered us. He told us that he was proud of us for not bending to their anger and the potential to let our feelings show. And he led us in prayer for those men. It was a most humbling moment right at the pitcher's mouth. Those men chose to let their anger rise and become uncontrollable, which led them to sin. Now, in verse 21, we read, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Here, James is admonishing his hearers 
to set aside the filthiness and the rampant wickedness, none of which will take one into the kingdom of heaven. But instead, he says, accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We can't easily overstate how profoundly powerful and important the word of God is in our lives. If the word of God does not rank with the most cherished possessions you have, you need to do a reality check, beloved, in your life. Nothing apart from God himself is more important and powerful than his word. We must receive the word in our lives. We must learn to throw off everything else, every hindrance that entangles. Check out Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And we got to throw off all deception, every deception, just get rid of it. That stuff that looks to steal, kill and destroy, like John 10, 10 says. Along with receiving, we're also encouraged to do or to act. The next line in our passage, verse 22, is one that many commentators and theologians believe to be the central message of the letter. It reads, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Can you imagine if a football player caught the perfectly thrown ball, but then just stood there on the field and just looked at it? Or if a doctor delivered a perfectly healthy baby only to have the parents stare at the baby for the rest of its life. Now, these examples sound so odd, it's hard to imagine them happening. I know. But that's the point James is trying to make, too. He expands upon it in these next verses. Look at verses 23 and 24. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That's crazy, right? Some people take a casual look at God's word without letting it affect their lives, like the person who looks so quickly into a mirror that flaws go undetected and nothing's changed. They listen, but they don't act. The other approach is the intent look, the deep and continued study of God's word that allows a person to see flaws and change his or her life in line with God's standards. You know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Verses 24 and 25, Jesus says this, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on the bedrock. The kind of mirror that God's word provides is unique. It shows us our inner nature in the same way that a regular mirror shows our exterior features. Both mirrors reflect what is there. When God's word points out something in us that needs correction, we had better listen and we had better act. In verse 25 of the text, it says, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. People who look steadily, study with serious attention, and then make God's law their chosen lifestyle. They study with focused attention, not only once, but continuously. As a result, they remember God's word and they do what it says for the law is perfect and can't be improved. This law sets people free because it is only in obeying God's law that true freedom can really be found. As Christians, we are saved by God's grace and salvation frees us from sin's control. As believers, we're free to live as God created us to live. Of course, this doesn't mean that we're free to do as we please. God will bless those who look steadily at his word. Don't forget God's word, beloved. Do what it says and don't take your eyes off Christ. Persevere in the calling and respond to the message of freedom that you've been given.
Now, to finish off this passage, Pastor James gives us some incredibly practical instruction in verses 26 and 27. As I mentioned earlier, and as we'll discuss more in depth in week four, James is passionate about the words we use and the power of the tongue. He bluntly states in verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. I'm sure we've all said things we regret, and I know I speak for most everyone that is listening today or watching today when I say that there are things that we've said we wish we could take back. Many years ago in a previous ministry, I had a moment just like that. I was really struggling in my relationship with one of our elders. It had been building on my end for some time. And then during a discussion where he was objecting to something I wanted to do at the church, I just erupted in a fit of anger and I said that he couldn't possibly be a Christian based on his reasoning. Now, you know that moment when those words are coming out of your mouth and you know at that moment you just want to cram them back in, but you can't. As those words were exiting my mouth, I was already regretting saying them, but it was too late. They were out and they had been received. What James is talking about here in verse 26 isn't the occasional slip up or foolishness, but rather the unwillingness to restrain one's words. But the unwillingness James is talking about is this unwillingness to see the power of our words to build others up or tear them down. James is talking about the person who won't go see an anger management counselor or receive correction for their filthy, vulgar mouth. Our verbal actions speak louder than our religious rituals. Pretending to be religious and convincing ourselves that we are is not only deceptive to others, but it's also a deadly self-deception. Conversion is meaningless unless it leads to a changed life. A changed life goes nowhere unless it serves others. And then in verse 27, James says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Here, James is explaining religion in terms of practical service and personal purity. Rituals done with reverence aren't wrong, but if a person still refuses to obey God in daily life, then his religion is not accepted by God. Pure and faultless religion is not perfect observance. Instead, it's a spirit that pervades our hearts and lives. Like Jesus, James explains religion in terms of a vital inner faith that acts itself out in daily life. Our conduct has got to be in keeping with our faith. As we continue in this verse, we see what we should do and to whom we should do it. This verse is also what we've adopted as our Good Samaritan ministry verse at Word of Hope, to look after widows and orphans. Widows and orphans are often mentioned in the concern of the early church as they were the most obvious poor in first century Israel. It was expected that the widows would be taken care of by their own families, and so the Jews left them with very little economic support. Unless a family member was willing to care for them, they were reduced to begging, selling themselves as slaves, or even starving. By caring for these people, the church put God's word into practice. When we give with no expectation of receiving in return, we show what it really means to serve others. As James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Admittedly, this passage of scripture we looked at today and the book of James as a whole is really a tough pill to swallow. 
There is much to feel conviction about and much to consider in our lives when we truly stop to consider what things we're actually doing in response to our hearing. Do my words align with the Christian witness I profess? Am I letting my anger turn into sin? Am I obstinate? What have I done lately in response to my faith? Do I talk more than I act? Does listening matter if I don't respond? I mean, these are just a few of the questions that cross my mind, and I'm sure that you have more you could add to that list as well. But in the midst of the conviction that comes from a passage like this, it's important to remember the heart behind it all, which is the very heart of God, the same God who is compassionate and loving and sent his one and only son to redeem mankind. This same God wants us to be realistic about our faith and think clearly about the things that may be hindering us from experience our best in him. So if there is anything holding you back from action today, my friends, would you consider letting it go? Would you commit to praying this week that God would give you the courage to go as the Great Commission says and to respond in righteousness to the goodness of the gospel message? I pray you will. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.